Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll visit with Boo Mortensen in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Always an interesting and entertaining discussion. Seat Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And Julia Swed is the development director for Pace Center for Girls. Look forward to an update from that terrific organization. Uh, it is August the 4th, and on this day in 1854, Henry David Thoreau's classic, Walden, or Life in the Woods was required reading, of course, in many classrooms today. But when it was first published on this day in 1854, it sold just around 300 copies a year. The American Transcendentalist writer's work is the first-person account of his experimental time of simple living at Walden Pond in Concord, Massachusetts. Starting in 1845 for two years and two months, the book explored Thoreau's views of nature, politics, and philosophy. He was a 27-year-old Harvard graduate when he moved to Walden. He built a simple 10-by-15-foot cabin along the shore of the 62-acre pond, a mile from the nearest neighbor on the land owned by his friend, poet Ralph Waldo Emerson, another transcendentalist. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could learn what it had to teach and not what I came to, uh, when I came to die discover that I had not lived, he wrote. Interesting perspective. His only income came from the labor of his own hands. Uh, Thoreau farmed the land, eating and selling his crops, which included beans, potatoes, corn, peas, and turnips, and many frequent trips into town, including to see his mother, who lived in the road, up the road, and entertain visitors. The initial print run of 2,000 copies, with each book priced at $1, and took five years to sell out, later shortened to Walden, per Thoreau's request. It was once a full-length uh, book books to, uh, two full-length books to, uh, published by the author. He uh, published a shorter work, uh, Civil Disobedience, which is a really interesting read. His first book, A Week on Concord and Merrimack Rivers, released in 1849, was also written during his time at Walden as a memorial to his late brother, John. So interesting. Uh, so he and uh, so many of the other transcendentalists lived during that period of time before the Civil War. Uh, let's get an update on COVID. Uh, 1777 new cases of COVID-19 and no additional deaths in Collier County. That brings the cumulative case total to 9,811 out of 59,922 tests. That's about a 16% uh, positive rate. Uh, it's a total uh, related deaths in Collier are 124 deaths. The latest being a 104-year-old person. I put COVID-19 on the death certificate is really crazy to me, but irrespective, that's what's happening. Oh, yeah, here it is. One of the uh, new cases reported Monday was that a 104-year-old woman whose positive case was counted by the state on August the 1st. She's the oldest person to test positive for COVID-19 in Collier County. Makes me smile when I'm reading this. I'm sure she had a wonderful life. I hope she did, but uh, it, I'm sure COVID-19 doesn't belong on the death certificate. There's 125 COVID-19 patients being treated in Collier County hospitals. 23% of the total hospital beds are available right now, and 31.4% of the adult ICU beds are available. So remember, well, this is all about flattening the curve, not overwhelming the healthcare system, and we're not... What's really encouraging is a seven-day moving average number of cases is going down from a high of about 220 a day to about 120 a day, which is just great news. And, of course, as I mentioned, 77 new cases yesterday. Uh, Florida and the United States are having similar trends 
And so, uh, and by the way, more about 40% of the deaths are in long-term care facilities. And that positive trend is number of cases going down. Now, we don't know what to expect from this, but uh, what I've concluded, and I'm no expert, is that uh, herd immunity is setting in, and once that happens, uh, there will be a slowdown of the virus. Well, the teachers' union in several cities want to keep schools closed this fall due to coronavirus. There's a lot of fear and anxiety about going in and uh, getting sick and that kind of thing. We want to pretend the coronavirus is deadly for children, but there's not. There's been about 86 children who have died in the U.S. when uh, the death was linked to coronavirus. 86 in the entire United States. There are approximately 500 children who die every year from the seasonal flu. So that's about more than five times as many. And each year, over 1,200 children are killed in roadside fatalities. Approximately 700 kids drown each year. So let's get this in perspective. I mean, teachers are, should be concerned about their own health and the health of the kids. But frankly, I think the evidence is on the side of opening the schools and teachers getting back to work in the classroom. Uh, Holland's top scientists have examined data and researched about COVID-19 and declared, now this is from Holland, that there is no clear evidence that wearing face masks protects anyone. In fact, the scientists say wearing masks may actually hamper the fight against the virus. Holland's finding comes as Melbourne, Australia, for example, is going under a nearly full lockdown for the next six weeks, a phase that started Sunday and runs until September the 13th. A full lockdown. You can't believe uh, the austere measures that have been put in place in Melbourne, Australia, as a result of this. As opposed to, for example, Sweden, where there was no lockdown. As uh, Mark Schulman pointed out yesterday, there's a downturn in the economy that uh, people made their own decisions about their health. And frankly, I think that's the way it should be. Well, a Collier County Commission candidate's arrest in East Naples this past week and has prompted calls for his party to drop out of the race. John Jenkins was booked in Naples. He's a 55-year-old gentleman in Naples Center uh, Jail Center Sunday morning and faces a felony charge of possession of cocaine, according to the Collier County Sheriff's Office. He was released later on that day on a $5,000 bond. He's running as the lone Democrat in a crowded race to uh, represent District 1, which, of course, covers East Naples, Marco Island, and communities from the Isle of Capri to Copeland. Right now, Donna Fiala holds that office, and she's retiring. She's done a, what a wonderful lady. She's done a terrific job. Uh, I will tell you, I moderated the uh, candidate forum for bipartisan forum for uh, candidates for Cuyahoga County Commission. I would suggest, after the fact, uh, that... <laughs> He is clearly the least qualified for the job. So, and here's good evidence that he's making poor decisions uh, while running as a candidate. Uh, you should see pictures of him in the Naples Daily News. He was a mess, all beat up and everything. So, nevertheless, uh, <clears throat> if uh, he stays in the race, I'd suggest not voting for him if you, if you qualify to vote in District 1. Well, President Donald Trump said Monday that the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Democrats are blocking the fourth proposed round of aid to Americans suffering the effects of the coronavirus pandemic. He said personally um, he's involved in the negotiations, but he dismissed the idea that he should meet personally with Crazy Nancy, as he calls her, to uh, break the logjam. What the Democrats want, they're slow rolling it. I guess that same thing as slow walking. And all they're really interested in is a bailout money to bail out radical left governors and radical left mayors like uh, New York, Cuomo, and, and the group. Trump cited Chicago, Portland, and New York City as examples of poorly run cities that do not deserve a bailout. Uh, they worked for years to get themselves in the shape they're in, and uh, clearly we taxpayers should not do that. We're really not interested in that, Trump said. He added that Democrats failed to act to help Americans still suffering from the effects of the virus and the economic shutdowns. They're not interested in people. They're not interested in unemployment. They're not interested in evictions, Trump said. Uh, uh, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows publicly criticized congressional Democrats on Friday for refusing to work with the Republicans to negotiate a deal, stating they had, ma had made zero offers. The Democrats believe they have all the cards on the side, and they're willing to play their cards at the expense of those they are hurting, he said. So, 
We'll see what happens here. Right now, the markets are markets are anticipating some sort of a deal. Uh, had a good day in the market yesterday, but futures are down a little bit right now. President, by the way, President Trump is scratching back to just four to six points behind challenger Joe Biden. He's being bolstered by a new poll showing a surge in his approval rating and a widening enthusiasm gap favoring him over the Democrat foe. Uh, just out in Daily Rasmussen reports, presidential approval rating for Trump is now at, get this, 51%. Notably, said Rasmussen, at the stage of his presidency, former President Barack Obama had a 44% rating. Uh, add to the new polling from economist YouGov that shows that president's supports his supporters far more enthusiastic about him and voting for him than those of Biden's. When asked, how would you feel about the presidential candidate's list to blow? 40% of Biden's supporters said enthusiastic compared to 68% of Trump supporters. And when asked, how enthusiastic are you about voting for president in the upcoming presidential election in November, 53% of Biden supporters said extremely or very enthusiastic compared to 76% of Trump supporters. That's a pretty amazing uh, difference. So what that indicates is that uh, when it comes time to vote, it's less likely to have uh, Biden supporters actually taking the time and trouble to vote uh, than uh, Trump supporters. Uh, and quite frankly, these polls, I believe, are skewed. I think Trump has his own polling, which I think will demonstrate that he is clearly ahead of Sleepy Joe. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. And as well, Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. 
And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning to you. So, hey, uh, signs that uh, perhaps not only here in Collier County, but around Florida and the entire United States, the number of cases is a good sign. What are your thoughts? Well, it's one of those cross-your-fingers things. Yeah. And, um, the, 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 the most important statistic, of course, is the percentage of positives. You know, they were hovering up around 15%. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they were below 10% uh, for the last batch. You know, a lot, of pe- a lot of people are saying, well, they're just not testing as much. That's not the, the issue. The issue is percent positive. And uh, so I think, you know, our all things being equal, I think we're hopefully on a, on a little bit of a downward trend. Like, I think a lot of people, as you and I have been talking about, are becoming much more cognizant of it, taking more responsibility and being much more careful. Yeah, um, we'll see. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, the, the percent positive. Uh, why is that? To me, I kind of dismiss that. Why? I've always looked at uh, not overwhelming the healthcare system, and we have, well, I think about thirty percent of our beds available. ICU is even higher. So that's the one that I watch. Why is? Help me understand, because I truly don't understand. Why is the positive uh, testing rate important? Well, uh, first of all, the, the positive. Uh, well, testing rates usually come a week or two before hospitalization uh, because, you know, the beginning you test and then they get worse or better. Mm-hmm. Why it's important is, um, and, and I, uh, it's kind of an interesting statistic, in that for every positive person that's out and about in the community, they could infect a 1,000 people. So if you test positive, you are going to, want to isolate so that you don't infect someone else who could have, you know, you may have asymptomatic, mm-hmm. healthy, but you may come in contact with someone who is not. So uh, the more people that are infected with it, even if they're asymptomatic, the more likely if they're out and about, you're going to infect others. So uh, as those numbers go down, that means there's less people out there infecting others Okay, in terms of percentage. So uh, the hospitalization rate is a whole other issue because those are the sickest people. Right. And then you start looking at, you know, deaths and, and the like. But um, I think by and large, the majority of people that contract COVID are either asymptomatic or, you know, can handle it in typical, uh, you know, weak, but just like you do for a cold, it, although the symptoms are a lot um, or the flu, rather, they're a lot more, um, you know, a lot more debilitating than the flu. Yeah. So I, I mentioned uh, earlier in the show that we've had 86 children across the United States that have uh, had deaths linked to coronavirus, and there's about 500 children each year that uh, die from seasonal flu. And about 700 children uh, in that age group actually uh, drown <laughs> from drowning. So, I mean, to me, I think I'm concerned about going back to school right now. And there's the fear that teachers' unions, for example, will suggesting they may go on strike. I mean, this is a this is a big concern. In my view, is everybody is really overreacting to this, especially when it comes to young people. Well, uh, yes and, and no, because um, a, a young person that gets COVID that is um, with you know, older people, we don't know for sure whether or not they can infect them. And there's a lot more people, a lot more of the medical community that thinks that a child that has COVID may be asymptomatic themselves or have mild symptoms, mm-hmm. but could infect a person that has pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, the same kind of thing we talked about in terms of numbers of positives. But the bottom line, I think, and this is where the governor is heading, is, look, you got to open the schools, but you figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's my biggest concern. Mm-hmm. A lot of parents who um, have means are saying, I don't want my child to be in school because I'm concerned about infections or whatever, so I'm going to get together with some friends, and we're going to hire a teacher. Yeah. And that's what they're going to call them pods. 
Yeah. And the problem with that is they what they, they do, they either hire the teacher and they still are enrolled in public schools, so they have a person that's managing and monitoring the, the kids' online learning. What about the essential workers, you know, the people who are um, medical medical community or people who work in the grocery stores who don't have the money to do that? They have no choice. They have two choices. One, send their child back to a brick-and-mortar school, which mm-hmm. a lot of them want to do, presuming the schools are open, or keep them home. Now, if they keep them home, one of the parents is going to have to stay home yeah. or not. And if they don't, you imagine a like, nine-year-old sitting at home all day yeah. going to school by themselves. It just doesn't, it's not going to work. So two years from now, three years from now, we're going to see, I think, if we don't do this right, we're going to see a have and have not. We're going to talk about all those kids left behind. The, the same kind of things we talked about in the 60s and the 70s with the underprivileged kids not getting an education because yeah. these kids are sitting at home alone. Yeah, I just, uh, oh. right now, we're, we're demanding the kids wear goggles and face masks. Uh, yeah, it's just, I can't imagine a second grader walking around with a goggle. Well, <laughs> but, you know go- what, though? Honestly, it's no harm to foul. We've got to get these kids, we've got to let the parents make decisions for their kids, and we have to op- offer them options to yeah. make them comfortable. And so... You know what? If the kids, if the kid wears a face mask, at least they're in school yeah. and not at home. Uh, how many kids do you know can sit at home by themselves and learn? No, <laughs> I, you're, mean, you're, I wouldn't have done it. You are absolutely right, Kathleen. I, I, and the good news here is in Collier County is that uh, oh, as of, for the state uh, commissioner. Uh, uh, I've forgotten to say, Corcoran, Corcoran, has said that all schools will open in August, so we're opening on August 31st. We've got some rules, goggles, and face masks. But the good news is that the brick-and-mortar schools are opening, and people, parents can send them there five days a week if that's what they choose to do. They have that option. So it's in the parents' hands. Right, and the teachers, the other thing is the schools are being, at least Collier, being pretty smart. They're talking to the teachers saying, how do you feel about it? If you've got an older teacher that has pre-existing conditions, that is afraid to go to school, she's not going to be, or he is not going to be as effective because they're going to be scared to death. Right. So they can do the online stuff. And then the, the younger teachers that want the contact with the kids, and I think there are a lot of them, they can go back to brick and mortar. It's just common sense. Right, it certainly is. And I think my, my belief is that once they get back to school, uh, they'll start stripping the kids of these demands to wear work goggles and face masks, especially when the number of cases go down, which is my anticipation and expectation. I hope it's true. Well, I do too. But, you know, honestly, it's, it, it, we just have to play it by ear and not be so political about it. Let's just, you know, what's in the best interest of the kids? That's yeah. the bottom line. Bottom line is absolutely right. What's best for the kids? Kathy, I always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, and have a great day. You as well. Thank you, Kathleen. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with Boo Mortensen. We'll find out what's new with Boo up in Madison, Wisconsin. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Julia Schwed, the Development Director for the Pace Center for Girls. Look forward to that discussion. Right now, we have with us Boo Mortensen. Boo, is. Uh, we're going to find out what's new with Boo up there in Madison, Wisconsin. Boo, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure, and, uh, well, the virus continues. Yes. Day 80. Yes, it does. Uh, the fun never ends, huh? So just at the end of our conversation off air, you had mentioned that you got tested for coronavirus. I'd, I'd be interested in hearing about that experience because I've never talked to anybody that's done it. Well, I will tell you, it was easy peasy. I, uh, I had some family members over, and Lauren's daughter came in and did not feel good and had a temperature because I've got one of those temperature things. And we thought, and so we said, well, you have to leave. You know, you can't stay here. So uh, she did. So, but she said, oh, I don't feel good. Three days later, she didn't feel good. And normally, you wouldn't even think twice about it. You go, hey, I got a summer's cold now. You know, we go to the dark side, and you think she's probably got, uh, you know, the virus. So the other day, I thought, yeah, I'll go get tested. Mm. So there's a, a big center that you can drive into. You stay in your car. They say, did you make an appointment? I said, nope. So you go in this aisle, Lane, and uh, they ask for my birth date, my name, where I lived, and uh, my email. They stick swabs, swabs in your nostrils, you know, up, not up into your brain, <laughs> um, the little nostrils. And uh, poof, I was in and out in, I bet, six minutes. And then I got the results back a day and a half later, and I was negative. Well, that's all it was good. Easy. It's nothing. That's all so interesting. So, uh, and the motivation was because that you may have uh, been contracted it. So that I think that was, uh, it's kind of. Where did you go to? Go to a hospital, or did you go? Is there a special location? No, they have. It's called uh, an Alliance Center, and it's where they have World Dairy Expo, and you know, it's a big convention center, and they've just created parts of where the barn is. Uh, this being Wisconsin, remember, um, they just created these lanes that you can drive into and you're in and out in, in no time. Yeah, that's so fascinating. So, uh, are they opening schools in in Madison? No, no, they're going to do the virtual thing. And I have to tell you the other day I went and got a pedicure, have to wear a mask. So I had a mask on for an hour. Then I walked two doors down with the mask on and got a couple groceries. So I had this mask on for about an hour and 45 minutes. I don't see, I'm gasping for air after that. I don't see how they can expect these kids to wear a mask all day. I don't think you can do it. Right. It's a, well, we'll see. I mean, we're opening, thank goodness, here in, in Cuyahoga County in Florida. We're, uh, all no, we brick, are not here. Yeah, all brick-and-mortar schools are opening here, and the parents have a choice. They can send them or not send them. Uh, but, uh, f- frankly, I think that's a great decision. And as this thing tends to wear off, my hope is that the, they'll reduce some of these draconian measures uh, uh, because as the fear wears off, uh, get, get back to business as usual. 
Oh, I think it's it's cruel and inhumane to keep these kids at home. I, you know, everybody, even Dr. Fauci is saying, get these kids back to school. And I don't know what the big whoop is when you're with young kids. Yeah. Um, you know, you put the desks apart. The mask thing, I don't see how you can do it. I don't see how you can wear a mask all day. I just don't. Yeah, it's... it's, it's a mask and goggles on a, on, a, on a second grader or third grader? <laughs> I just can't imagine. I can't imagine that. That's First of all, what does it do to their psyche, for crying out loud? Well, exactly. It's it's goofy. Anyway, yeah. they're not opening here. A lot of them are doing it virtual, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. But on a high note, which I love, private, private enterprise, uh, SpaceX, carrying two U.S. astronauts splashed down yesterday in Florida or up the coast. Isn't that exciting? And I think, isn't that cool? That yeah, is. I'm, I'm really so happy do. you brought that up because uh, that's it's so important. I mean, this is a great achievement, of, and I think it's, it uh, really is going to be a springboard for great accomplishments and outer space. I, mean, I, I saw some of the things that they're going to be able to do in the next moon landing. Is just on, and, and also on Mars, for crying out loud. It's just so exciting. I, I agree. You know, commercially built and operated, mm-hmm. and I love when they said, uh, uh, welcome back to planet Earth, and thanks for flying SpaceX. <laughs> I think that was really cool. Um, <laughs> you know, it just shows you what private enterprise and uh, individual uh, creativity can do, and a lot of people have blown off. Elton Musk is a crazy guy, and maybe he is, but, you know, he's crazy like a genius and uh, anybody uh, you that, know, it's, it's a bit of good news it sh- certainly is and anybody that i know that owns one of these teslas i mean they're just in love with the car they think it's just fantastic so uh and apparently i think didn't elon musk's teslas pass uh, uh it's now one of the largest uh, automobile makers in the united states as i understand yeah That's he hires fifty five thousand people and he's going to up it to sixty five thousand He's doing well. He's doing well. And uh, and back to SpaceX, by the way, my understanding is that they're planning commercial flights to outer space so you can actually buy a ticket and have a seat uh, in the near future in the next couple of years. Now, that would be cool. I mean, talk about a thrill. You'd do talk that? an adrenaline rush. You know, I, I don't. I don't know. I'd be scared out of my gourd doing it, but... I don't know. If I had an opportunity, I might do it. Why not? Well, you know, as our listeners may not be aware of this, but my understanding is you've done skydiving, you've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, if I'm not mistaken. You've done a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah, I have. I have. So uh, (laughs) why not add to the pile? Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm sure it will be horribly expensive, but it'd be a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Hey, are you watching baseball at all? You know, I'm not, uh, and I'm a big baseball fan. And uh, I, I know I did turn on the game for a couple innings the other day. Linda was suggested that we do that, but uh, I'm so disappointed uh, with the behavior of professional sports and now with Black Lives Matter and all this nonsense. Uh, you know, it just doesn't belong in the game, and uh, so I'm not watching professional basketball or baseball. You know what? It's refreshing. You know who doesn't take a knee? Besides hockey, is is uh, golf. <laughs> you know these guys are so well behaved. They're so honest. They're the way they play the game. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna you know I'm just spending my time watching golf. Good for you. Yeah. How about uh, you? What, what I, about you and your household? Well, Warren is such a big baseball player. I you know he does not like the politiza- politicalization of sports either. But you know he's just. I think he's so desperate to watch anything. You know, I think he'd go to a manure throwing contest if he could. <laughs> well, so that's where he's at. But statistically, they said yesterday in the Wall Street Journal that the uh, their big higher uh, TV ratings than last year. Well, that is interesting because I read someplace that they're way down for, uh, for baseball as well as for basketball. So we'll have to check it out and see what's going on. Boo, you know, always... 1.6 million viewers. Wow, that's a lot. Well, Boo, I just always appreciate your commentary here in the show. So thank you so much for joining us. 
Yep, my pleasure. All right, you have a great day. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road. And it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Julia Schwed. She is the development director for the Pace Center for Girls, terrific organization. Right now we have with us Seton Motley. He is the founder and president of another terrific organization, Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Thank you, Seton. I've got to pot you up here. I didn't... <laughs> Had your, oh. had your sound down. So, uh, it's, Pete Seaton, uh, tell us about less government. We exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and it's not going very well. No, <laughs> it's not. So, Seaton, you wrote a great piece. I'm so happy we're talking about this. Failed government schools find yet another fake scapegoat to blame. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, you know, I started doing uh, transitioning from trying to sell records to be a uh, to, to writing about politics in the early 2000s, around 2003, 2004. And I met a guy who was a radio host in Corpus Christi, Texas. I was living in Austin. And he was very popular in Corpus. And he brought me down as kind of like a, tape, as a, surprise, a pop quiz, a surprise test. I walk in, I was going to co-host a show with him. And there's a guy sitting in there. He's the superintendent of schools for Nueces County uh, in Texas, which mm-hmm. is Corpus Christi. And we're going to debate schools for an hour. Now, of course, the other side of the coin of him surprising me is I might surprise him. And the first thing I say on the air is we should abolish government schools. And he pretends to be Red Fox having a heart attack going to see Elizabeth. <laughs> um, and by the end of the first hour, all the phone calls coming in were in, on my side. Yeah. Um, government schools are a huge mistake for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Um, first of all, government's terrible at doing anything and everything. Um, second of all, there's a great line from uh, a longtime radio host, Neil Bortz. And he said, look, if you go to a Catholic school, you're going to get a pro-Catholic education. If you go to a Episcopalian school, you're going to get a pro-Episcopalian education. And if you go to a government school, you're going to get a pro-government education. Now, our entire nation is founded upon less government. Mm-hmm. The, the Declaration of Independence, 
the revolution was to throw off a tyrannical government. And then we wrote a constitution that establishes a very small, limited government. Mm-hmm. But then we made the egregious error of turning over teaching that history, that less government history, to government schools. Yeah. And government, you know, it, they, they, they held, they, they restrained themselves, they refrained for a long time. But then in the early 60s, they, they became an advocate for bigger government. Yep. And they went from being education facilities to indoctrination centers. And that's what they are now. You, you wonder where, where are all these, you know, the, yes, you can blame college and universities, but that's, it's already baked by then. I, I, I've said for years that government schools form the, the radicals and then colleges activate them. Right. They're already formed by the time they get to college. And, and so, you know, you want, you, the average American sits and goes, where are all these morons coming from that are burning Portland and burning Seattle and Minneapolis and Chicago? Well, they went to government schools and yeah. they were taught to hate this country and they were taught to, you know, socialism good, communism, I mean, uh, capitalism bad. And if you remember that video from 2016, they asked Bernie supporters, do you like socialism or capitalism? Oh, socialism, capitalism is awful. Can you explain why? Yeah. Silence. Because they've been indoctrinated. You can't justify that position with facts. They've been indoctrinated to think this and say this, but with no facts to back it up, because there are no facts to back it up. These are indoctrinated people, and that's who we're dealing with now. And, you know, every year uh, the government schools pump an, um, another million poison pills into the system. Yeah, you know, Seton, I, I, frankly, uh, I think now the time is ripe. It's just perfect right now to take our uh, government schools right here in Collier County and say, let's just turn them all into charter schools and have separate factories. Uh, someone said, well, how are poor people going to afford schools? I'm like, you block grant the money. We spend 13000 a year. No, no, in, in Collier County, it's $22,000 no, it, well, $22, a year. How much in Collier? Twenty-two thousand, a child. Are you kidding me? I, I had no idea. Absolutely, one point one billion dollar budget uh, in Collier County. You divide the number of kids into that number, and you come out with twenty-two thousand dollars. That's. I mean, can you imagine the private school system you'd have? And with that, it, with it, that much money going around, exactly. And it, it, just to have the money follow the, the child, have each uh, charter school, each school in the school system have a different uh, mission and uh, pro- process for, for oh, teaching. It would be much better. Uh, absolutely. So absolute. And you know what? Talk about paring down the cost. It'd be unbelievable. So, well, and, you know, and, and, and you know, the, the scapegoat I reference is internet service providers. Of course, now I will, I will defend schools and teachers on, on one thing, which is when they shut down the schools, they just shut down the schools. No one they've been handed no preparation for it, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously. It just instantaneously happened. Well, it became remote learning with on the Internet, and now they're blaming the Internet service providers for people not having access. And I link to a bunch of stories. They don't have access. They don't have access. They have access. They just haven't adopted, meaning they haven't hired. They, they have Internet service providers to hire. They just haven't hired them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they say, oh, it's, it's too expensive. Well, Comcast is the biggest internet service provider in the country, they offer service for 10 bucks a month. Right. I mean, come on. Yeah. Get, get, get over yourself. And meanwhile, the schools, which are still on an agrarian calendar, by the way, that's, this is how fast they are to adapt to new surroundings. The reason kids have summers off in government schools is, is so they can go home and help their parents pick crops. Yeah, on the farm. I mean, I mean that's what's that... They missed the government schools missed entirely the industrial revolution. You know, but that's um, a, that's a great point to, because of, of the one industry where you have not seen innovation take place is right. Quite frankly, public education. That's right. It's, it's the exact same system as two hundred years ago, two hundred fifty years ago, and and so to blame the innovative internet service providers who provided access, by the way, to everybody and say it's their fault. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my money on it, it being the government school's fault Just without even looking at the facts, and then you look at the facts and you're backed up in that assessment. Yeah. 
uh, interesting story, uh, Seton. Absolutely. So, I mean, again, I come back to this. The time is ripe. I mean, we could really... Oh, you know, it's so funny. In, in this weird time we live in, it's conservatives going, open up the schools, which I'm like, no, no wait a minute. Think about what you're saying. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's a very... Now it would be a great time, like you said, to... to in this in this time of darkness, because you see all the private schools opening. Yeah, the private schools were open. Did you see Montgomery County, Maryland? Yeah, and the governor actually mandated that they have yeah, to open the schools. The, the private schools were opening. The the county officials said, "No, you're closed. So you're shut down." You, you know, and the governor said, uh, "No, you know, you're open." You know, and that which is great because you know the teacher teachers unions are gnashing teeth about that. They do not want to see those schools open because it that's, makes that's them look right. bad. It makes them look that, terrible. That's right. Well, that's why they don't like private schools in general and charter schools in general, because they make them look bad. Absolutely. Well, by the way, I mentioned to you, I want to close with this, uh, $22,000 per child. You know what the reading level, uh, great for uh, kids in the fifth grade? How many read, How many read a uh, grade level? Read, read a grade level, no. 58%. Of course, of course. <laughs> That's it. Of course. And you know what? Well, you know what the schools. You, you know the, school, what the problem is, Bob. We don't spend enough money. You know, no. <laughs> you know what the schools are rated that that have those kinds of results: A and B, A plus B. That oh, kind of. it's like <laughs> it's like the ratings agencies uh, right before the housing collapse. That's right. That's an A plus bond rating. <laughs> so, uh, then why did ninety two percent of the houses just go belly up? That's exactly um, right. Seton, yeah. i got to move on, but I just genuinely appreciate it. Again, lessgovernment.org is the website. You can visit Less Government on Facebook. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, indeed. Interesting stuff. And I just appreciate the conversation. It's so important that uh, schools are be held accountable and the parents have choice. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Julia Swed. She is the Development Director for the Pace Center for Girls. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I proudly serve on the board. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Julia Schwede. She is the Development Director for Pace Center for Girls. Julia, thank you so much for joining us. 
Oh, thank you so much, Bob. It's great to be on. Thank you, Julia. So um, for our listeners' benefit, tell us about the Pace Center for Girls. Pace Center for Girls, Collier at Immokalee, um, has been serving girls in our community for quite a while now. Our mission is to provide girls and young women with an opportunity for a better future through education, counseling, training, and advocacy. Um, we, a lot of our girls come to us from some difficult situations, uh, maybe being trapped in the juvenile justice system, um, being bounced around uh, from home to home, having some difficulties with truancy in school. And we, with our program, um, provide them with what they need to um, gain a strong sense of self and be independent women. Uh, It's fabulous, the work that you're doing. So uh, when when do the uh, young girls get engaged at what grade level? Uh, from sixth grade until uh, graduating from high school, uh-huh. so about eleven till eighteen. So, tell us about the programs and how you how you get get the results that you get. Well, we use um, we have a spirited girls program, which is a really special class to us at Pace Center for Girls, which gives students life skills uh, skills about self esteem. Um, an open classroom where they can talk about their emotions, difficulties, and troubles. Mm. We have counselors that are available to the girls while they're in our school and even after hours um, via phone, email, um, or texting, making sure that the girls' concerns, uh, their fears, their anxieties are um, able to be processed and put to rest so that they can focus on things that really are going to make a difference in their life, mm. uh, like creating good relationships and um, growth of self-esteem that is just terrific now uh, it's so it's not an after-school program it's a, it's a program that actually is a school they go to go to pay yeah. center for girls to to attend classes and learn and, and uh, that's that's their alternative to going to public schools yes it is we oh. have about 60 girls right now wow that is fantastic so uh, can you speak to us about the results at all what i'm sure you've been in business now for long enough that uh, you've seen some great things happen Yes. Currently, throughout the state of Florida, because we have 21 locations, Ah. we see about 3,000 girls each year, 40,000 girls served since 1985. Um, When they come to PACE, about 74% of girls were uh, failing out of school, and by the time they leave PACE, 84% have improved. Uh, 22% had prior involvement with the juvenile justice system, and 95% when leaving our school have no involvement with the juvenile justice system within one year after PACE. Mm. Um, 66% of the girls that come to us were expelled, and 89% after leaving PACE went on to higher education, um, employment, one year after completing PACE. Boy, that is amazing. so. That is so inspiring. Those results are just amazing. <laughs> Seems to me that all kids should probably go through an experience like that because of focusing on self-esteem and helping them to learn to love themselves and take care of themselves. Well, what a what a major accomplishment! And of course, that's the responsibility of the families. But as you you, you mentioned, some of them are just going from aunt, uncle to aunt to parent to you know all over the place, just trying to have a roof over their heads. It is a very, very special place, and I do agree with you. I couldn't agree more that what we do at PACE really is needed throughout our country. Yeah. Um, yeah, Amaz- sure. Amazing results. So now we've had this uh, pandemic here and uh, COVID-19. So how has that impl- uh, affected your program? Well, um, like everyone else, we had to make some drastic changes, but we did that rather quickly and shifted our model to, as most schools did, a virtual model where students would come to class each day. Um, We provided all of our services, including counseling and our spirited girls classes, five days a week uh, via iPads or computers, which we quickly acquired what we did not have and distributed those to the girls. Not only that, but some of the girls in our area didn't have food to eat, so we did a food drive and allowed students to pick up food as needed um, and tracked that throughout the week. We just uh, did a hygiene drive and gave students on average about 50 items of hygiene items, um, full size for their homes. Um, So 60 60 bags with 50 items each to make sure that the girls and their families have what they need um, to take care of their bodies. We directed them to testing sites, um, other food banks, uh, made sure that we had... um, 
yeah. every everything that they needed to take care of themselves during this difficult time. Well, besides that, providing them with schooling. <laughs> yeah, and just really that's fantastic results. And it sounds like a very yeah, maybe yeah, probably a tough love environment type of thing where you know you you're really caring for them, but you're trying to hold them accountable as well. Yes, we do. Uh, we reward them for what they do. On Mondays, we do a tally of who attended class the most and do a wheel, and they receive gift cards or different prizes. That's so cool. So, I mean, we've talked about the girls and how they're doing. How is Pace Center for Girls doing? I mean, this has, I'm sure, been a financial strain for you. You know what? Pace is a pretty amazing place. They plan for the uh, unexpected. So we are sitting in a very comfortable position. We are not having to cut employment. We are keeping all of our teachers, all of our counselors, all of our programming, and all the staff that is currently in place. So I have to say I'm not only proud of our girls, but proud of our organization as a whole that they planned ahead for... um, the unexpected. So I'm so pleased we were having this conversation. It's been a while since I've had somebody from Pace Center for Girls on the show, and I'd forgotten a lot of the details and the great things that are going on. How can, uh, is are any events coming up, or how could our listeners find out more? Uh, yes, one of the best ways to find out more would be liking us on Instagram or Facebook, because we post a lot about what's going on. We do have some tentative events set up, one of them being January 19th, which is our Crazy Pants event at the Players Club and Spa of Naples. Um, another way, you can contact me directly by calling our office, and they will transfer you to me, which is 239-842-5406. And how about a website? Um, is It's going to be pacecenter.org, Collier at Immokalee. Paycenter.org, call your Adam Markley. And I, I was fumbling for a pencil when you gave that phone number. Could you give it, <laughs> give it again? Yes, I can. It is 239-842-5406. Julia, you're doing God's work. I just really appreciate the Pace Center for Girls and everything. You just like, you know, kids that are probably going to be ending up in, with a bad life, maybe in the uh, criminal justice system, uh, not having high, you know, now these girls are going on, I'm guessing some of the higher education going on to become leaders. Yes, they are. It's amazing. Yes. It's amazing stuff. Julia, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much, Bob, and I hope you have a beautiful day. You as and well. And I really do appreciate it. My pleasure indeed. So interesting. Uh, I want to just uh, end the uh, the show here with a, a little shout out. Our former MSNBC producer wrote a scathing letter, an open letter explaining why she left the cable news network it was July 24th was my last day, she said. I don't know that I'm gonna, what I'm going to do exactly, but I simply couldn't stay there anymore, she said. My colleagues are very smart people with good intentions. The problem is the job itself. It forces skilled journalists to make bad decisions on a daily basis. Now, the reason why this is important to me, by her name is Perkery, Peckery, P-E-K-A-R-Y, is her last name she gave examples of uh, you know basically there's just a culture there where they're forced to to write about and to sensationalize she says it's possible that i'm more sensitive to the editorial process due to my background in public radio she was at npr where no decision i ever witnessed was predicated on how a topic or guest would quote unquote rate the longer i was at msnbc the more i saw such choices that practically baked into the editorial process And those decisions affect news content every day, she said. Likewise, it's taboo to discuss how the rating scheme distorts content or it's simply taken for granted because everyone in the commercial broadcast industry is doing exactly the same thing. But it's behind closed doors. Industry leaders will admit the damage there is being done. She said, uh, why don't you just talk about this uh, pandemic thing, if I can find it. So she says the the cancer risks human lives even in the middle of the pandemic. The primary focus quickly became what Donald Trump was doing poorly to address the crisis rather than the science itself. As uh, new details have become available, like about antibodies, a vaccine, or other COVID actually spreads, producers still want to focus on the politics, important facts, or studies get buried, she said. This is such a revealing and important uh, letter. I hope you'll, I'm not sure exactly where I found this, maybe on Fox News, but it just really is a revelation of how the news industry works and why we get so much bad information. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Tomorrow, we'll visit with Bob Levy, the chairman of the
of the Cato Institute, Andrew Joppa, does great commentary uh, as professor and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space or architecture. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs> <laughs>